0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts, where we cover all the fights, all the news, all the happenings, and our occasional ramblings. Such is life. I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your host. I am flying solo tonight. My usual partner in crime, Jeff Harris, is at WonderCon. Uh, He's doing a lot of work for 411 Mania. He's, you know... Whatever you do at conventions, I don't think I've ever been to one, actually, now that I'm going to put my mind to it. Uh, Not really my thing, but he's doing a lot of stuff there, checking stuff out, and we'll have a bunch of content for the website over the next couple of weeks, so be on the lookout for that. Jeff should be back next week, for those of you who are fans of his. In the interim, you're stuck with just me, so I apologize. This shouldn't be a terribly long episode, we have a review of UFC on ESPN2, and what a... bizarre card that was. That was a bipolar card. That was either great, or pretty darn terrible. There was not a lot of in-between. Also news, uh, Conor McGregor retired. Put that in as many air quotes as you feel necessary. Or the average MMA retirement, I suppose. And we had a bunch of more fights announced. Uh, Last week we covered a fair number of fight announcements, and there were even more this week. So, that's what's on the agenda for this evening. So, on to, let's just jump right into this. UFC on ESPN 2, their second event on Big Daddy ESPN. Uh, before I get into the fights, I have to have a word about this whole event. Um, this event started at, I think, 3.30 Eastern, 1.30 my time. Good start time. Like the earlier start times. I don't, wanna, I don't always want to be up until 11. See, nothing of the poor people on the East Coast will have to wait until like 1 in the morning for the main event to start. It's kind of ridiculous. I don't expect my time zone to be catered to. Most people don't even know that Mountain Standard Time is actually a thing. There's, they just think there's Pacific, there's Central, and there's Eastern, right? Uh, no, there's Mountain, whole other time zone in there, guys. Uh, so I don't expect mine to be catered to, but you know, a l- significant portion of the population of the United States lives on the east, lives in Eastern Standard Time, and asking all of them to stay up until again like one in the morning for your main event to start seems a bit egregious. So earlier start time, positive here's the negative this was a six hour plus event it could have been mut and it, it could have gone longer thank heavens for the top couple of fights ending as quickly as they did because this thing started again like 130 my time and as the ESPN plus prelims were wrapping up commentary mentioned and we'll be on you know big Foc- I'm big fox will be on ESPN for 5 hours wait a minute hold the phone <laughs> you just spent like an hour and a half or so on ESPN plus now you're going to spend five, like it, it, oh god that that's not a good thing guys these cards don't have to be that long now i know that we're still dealing with roughly the same amount of time and we're still dealing with roughly the same amount of fights from, like, FS1 to ESPN. But the first few events on ESPN+, Plus or even just ESPN, they felt better. They seem to have consistently shaved about 20 minutes off of the broadcast. Now, that may not seem like the biggest deal in the world when you're still talking about six hours. But it seemed... I average it at six. But it seemed to move the... Again, kind of like, if I were to guess, it moved kind of the high average from 6 hours and 15 to 20 minutes to about 5 hours and 45 to 55 minutes. Again, that may not seem like a lot, but it makes a significant difference when you're watching the entire thing from start to finish. So to have this event go back to just horrible pacing with here's a fight and it and I mean they, these were fights that went the distance most of them if you have to pad some of your run time because you had five fights in a row end in less than you know ten minutes sure I'm a I, I'm not an ogre I understand that and again that's part of the reality of it but when everything's going the distance it should not go you know, what? 15 minutes of fighting, minute of air time, uh, minute of time between each round, commercial break announced. So, you you block out around 20 minutes of fight, like somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes of air time for a fight. Assuming every uh, that gives you a padding in case it goes the distance. So you're not you're scrambling to fill time. You're not rushing a bunch of things. So you block that out. But it shouldn't go, again, like, 20-minute fight, or, you know, 30-minute broadcast of fight, okay? Commercial. Pre-recorded video promo for the next fight. Commercial. Come back to the intro. Like, there's some disconnect there, and I get parts of it... I mean, the fact that we went, you know, I think it was almost 20 minutes from the start of the main card to the first fight on the main card. I get a little of that because you want to hype things up. You have a bunch of people just tuning in for the main card. You dedicate some time to let them know what's coming up. Fair enough. I'm okay with that. I think they stretched it a little long this time. Again, 20 minutes might be a bit much, but I I understand parts of it. But, man, this... This event just i it shouldn't be six and a half hours, guys. It just shouldn't that's just too much. It's too much time like you just you you're expecting your audience to just sit there through so much downtime or at least be a, you know be aware of so much downtime. It's just not good. There's a reason we lambasted Fox Sports one for their terrible pacing. Thought we had moved beyond that. Uh, it, it crept back in for this one, and I am... Again, I'm not a fan. I hope it's a one-off. I hope we don't have the same problem going forward, but this was not a well-paced event. Fortunately, the fights themselves were, again... There were some good ones. There were some bad ones. Uh, let's just go to the main event. This was This was the fight. Edson Barboza versus Justin Gagey. I expected violence. I got violence. I was so I was so happy with this fight. I I can't tell you. Uh, this whole card kind of needed. I mean, the top three fights all brought some life back into this card, and eh, the top four. In some respects, I mean, I'll, I'll, we'll get to those in a minute, but. Uh, Justin Gagey defeats Edson Barboza via knockout 2 minutes 30 seconds into the first round. This was about as good a two and a half minute fight as you can find. Uh, They came out, they kicked each other. They had a mini leg kick war where they just kind of stood in front of each other trading leg kicks. They both landed uh, hard leg kicks. Gagey rocked Barboza a little bit, backed him into the fence, looked to finish him. Barboza regained himself a little bit. They clinched up, they broke. Uh, the finish came when Gagey forced Barboza back to the fence, which Barboza has... I mean, this was a bad... That's a bad thing for Barboza. Generally, he's not good on the fence, and he's not the best about keeping himself off of it. Um, When he's diligent about it, he's, ve- he's pretty solid, but it's very easy for him to fall back into bad habits about it. And when you have, you know, Justin Gagey... Pressuring you, punching you, chopping your legs out from under you, and just making your life miserable—you think less about, you know, your general ring position than you might otherwise. Uh, as he got him against the fence, he did this really nice thing where he started in the uh, orthodox stance, kind of squared up because Gagey does that when you—it wasn't really square, but it was just a little bit more square—and he kind of pushed a little bit of range finding, a little bit of just pushing him um, away to Gagey's right. Which is a really... It's a really good thing because part of the reason you want to force your opponent against the fence is you limit their options for mobility. If my back is against the cage, I can go right or I can go left. That's it. It means that my opponent only has, to, has a 50-50 shot at guessing which direction I'm going to move and being able to clobber me accordingly in this instance so gagey's got him against the fence he then limits even that that 50-50 by kind of pushing him and goading him in the direction he wanted him to go as barboza tries to move along the fence uh, again to gagey's right gagey he doesn't really switch stance in the traditional sense of the word but because he started orthodox and then the ang- and then the direction of Barboza's movement. Rather than try to move with him and reset, he just utilizes a right hook from what is based on their new angles—a southpaw stance—cracks him across the jaw. He falls. Uh, he was out when he hit the ground. I mean, he went. He was out cold. Uh, great stuff from Gagey all the way around. I mean. Again, these two landed some pretty hefty leg kicks on each other, uh which we all expected both these guys have some nasty leg kicks um, I'm curious to see if more guys are gonna try to leg kick a little bit with Barbosa because and this gets mentioned frequently just because you have good leg kicks does not mean you are good at defending leg kicks I mean there were all you know there were a lot of people who were kind of you know uh who was it that did that you know kind of threw some leg kicks with Aldo it was either Llamas or Mendez in the rematch who just kind of had the better leg kick game and there was a lot of like why would you leg kick with Aldo well I mean sure Aldo had nasty leg kicks but how was his defense against them you know that's a that's a pretty significant question and in the case of Barboza, again that man has nasty leg kicks he's stopped people with them but, how does he defend against them? I mean, again, you're, if you're going to get hit with one, that's going to suck. No two ways about it. But, just because he's good at delivering them doesn't mean he's good at defending against them. And that's a... And that's something that I think a lot of people kind of overlook about this. I mean, Jack Slack talks about it frequently. So, again, they... about This was about everything I wanted out of this fight. Absent, like, two things. If this fight were... If I could, like, script this fight out like a professional wrestling match, only two things would change from how this fight went. Uh, one, there would have been blood, because there was no blood. And two, it probably would have gone on another... <sighs> I would have liked to see him get into the second round, so this ended at 2.30 of the first, so call it 2.30 of the second. And so, it's another five minutes on top of this if I could have, you know, perfectly scripted it. But uh what we got was pretty darn great. This is uh, this is Gagey's first UFC winning streak. He's knocked out both of his op- his last two opponents in the first round. Um look, I'm not going to mince words. I really want to see Justin Gagey and Donald Cerrone and the violence those two maniacs would do to each other. Uh, just that that's what I want. Um I mean Cerrone has to get past Al Iaquinta, because if Iaquinta beats Cerrone, then I think you might do Gagey and Raging Owl, because I don't think you can... I don't think Gagey will take a step... a step back in the rankings to fight Cowboy. I mean, I, again, I would love to see that, but... I think Gagey's gonna be looking at probably the... again, probably the winner of Cowboy versus Iaquinta as uh, his next opponent, all things considered. Uh, sucks for Barboza, because... This was a this was a pretty solid streak he was on If you were looking at Sorry, no, that was his He just broke a two-fight losing streak So yeah, he's 1-3 in, in his last four Now in fairness to Barboza Those losses are to Khabib Kevin Lee and Justin Gagey And he had some pretty He had some decent moments in that Lee fight I mean, I've seen some Silliness about he was on his way to a comeback Before the doctor stopped that in the fifth round Which is, again, silliness but he did have moments in that fight, and he lost. And in certain rounds, he lost badly. But he kept fighting, so credit to him. But he's he's in a he's in a rough spot because he's clearly a spectacular fighter in many respects. But there's some holes in, and I mean, some of this is just unfortunate style matchups for Barboza. But if you can't plug some of the holes in your game, you can't expect either the UFC to match make you favorably or other fighters to ignore said weakness uh, weakness said habits weakness is a bit is a bit strong Barboza just has some habits when pressured he has some habits along the cage and at times he's done a pretty good job of addressing them in some cases it's just you're against a guy who really really attacks those habits and you could, you know, address a lot of your, you know, some of your, uh, your issues of ring craft, for example, knowing where you are in the cage and stopping your, in you're starting to move or circle before you actually reach the cage itself. Barboza has, Barboza tends to back all the way to the fence. I mean, Junior Dos Santos still kind of does. So it's, it's not unique to Edson in that, in that sense. But and you, get a, you get a guy like Justin Gagey, yeah, he's going to push you. He's going to back you into the fence because that's where he does his best work. This isn't an, This isn't even an instance of knowing an exploitable habit of Barboza necessarily so much as Gagey wants everyone with their back on the fence so he can attack them. That's where he likes to work, and just under that pressure. And I mean, again, Barboza got hit a few times, and when you're you get hit a few times, some of your habits. It's easier for your habits to come back especially old habits as opposed to the newer ones when you've been you've been drilling to try and you know address issues. So, I mean, Gagey is again closer to the title picture than uh you know he was you know before the win, but again, two in a row, two ranked opponents in a row. Two knockouts in the first round, two pretty violent knockouts too. He slept both Vic and Barboza. Again, I think Gagey's in... Uh, if this division can ever get sorted out at the top of the... If we can ever sort out the title scene, which is a major ask at this point, I am aware. But barbosa has uh, got a feature... Or not Barbosa. Gagey's has to feature somewhat prominently in that. I'm not sure exactly what you do with Barbosa next, but... I mean, I said a while ago I think Barboza and Cerrone would be fun. So if Cer- I imagine if Cerrone loses to Ally Aquinto, you could do Cerrone and Barboza. I just kind of want to see that fight generally. So again, main event, fun fight, really fun fight while it lasted. I mean, it's hard to call a two-minute and thirty-second fight fight of the year, but I think it'll—it's in the running a little bit. It's pretty much exactly what you wanted out of this out of that fight. All right. Uh in the co-main event, Jack Hermanson, man, uh this is a severely underappreciated fighter. Uh Jack Hermanson defeated uh David Branch via guillotine choke in the first round. I think even people who picked Hermanson probably didn't pick him to submit uh longtime black belt like <laughs> David Branch, but he did. Um, Hermanson has only lost twice in the UFC. One was to Cesar Fajea, who... Oh, Fahea has been up and down. That was in the midst of Faheya's one probably Fajaya's best UFC run, actually. And Fajaya was able to catch him with an arm triangle choke, but he's only lost to him and Tiago Santos, who's about to fight for the light heavyweight title. We'll get to that fight announcement later. Um, Hermanson's overall UFC record is six and two. He's on a three-fight winning streak. Um, oh God! Why are you? Sorry, I'm looking at the wiki entry for this, and they have this listed as an arm-in guillotine choke, and that's not an accurate use of the language. Ugh! Like, don't don't too much to differentiate between guillotine variations on this. It's a guillotine choke. Leave it at that. I actually do want to get into the specific technique of this choke, because it was a good one. Uh, Hermanson just pressed the issue very, very... I mean, this ended like 49 seconds into the first round. This was was a blowout in that respect. Hermanson was able to punch and kick his way into the clinch, got a body lock, kind of hit this really nice spinning foot sweep. He just got... Branch kind of spinning in a circle, tried the foot sweep. Branch kept his balance, kept his posture. He didn't get taken down, but he was a little bit out of sorts. He spun him and tripped him again. Landed in side control. Uh, as Branch was trying to base up, he got to his hands and knees, and Hermanson moved into a very specific position that I think Ben Askren goes into some detail on. He calls it the Assassin. It's a collegiate, like, folk-style wrestling ride. It's probably more effective in freestyle than folk-style. But he used it in... I mean, look, I I absolutely bow to Ben Askren's knowledge of these things. But it's, uh, again, it's from a traditional kind of referee's position or a ride. And you just have, let's say, you know, you're on your opponent's right hip. You have your left arm wrapped all the way around the back of their head and then coming back towards your own body. So it's a weird thing. Look it up. I mean, it's detailed if you want a specific if you want a specific reference um bjj scout on youtube has a series of videos on ben Ask- uh, studying ben Askren's fights his game etc and the last one goes into a little bit the details of the assassin as a position so if you want some a better visual and the way he breaks it down you know he's using some of askrin's footage as well as his own insight is significantly more detailed and more insightful than what I can provide so please look that up but that position in again in wrestling you're able to kind of leverage them over into a pinning predicament in MMA or even in uh, jiu-jitsu competition it really is a nice setup for a couple of different chokes one of them's uh, one of them's the anaconda you can cuz your arm is all the way around their neck and then kind of coming up under their other armpit. If you can shoot that arm all the way through, you kind of have to abandon, you know, the, the leg lace. But if you can get your... I mean, you don't even really have to do that, but... If you can shoot that arm all the way through, get it on your own bicep, you can lock up a, a really nice anaconda choke. We've seen that a few times. I think Alex Perez hit a really nice one in his UFC debut. Um, Rocco Martin... I think used used the anaconda from that setup on Jake Matthews. If you want to see this in real time, there's a few examples. The other thing it sets up is, and I don't know the specific nomenclature for this guillotine choke variation. Because there's a few different, again, there's a few variations. There's the traditional guillotine, which is no arms in, it's just your arm around their neck you're able to pull back There's one where you have an overhook on their arm on the opposite side of their from where their head is so if their head's in if your left arm is choking them then your right arm instead of just connecting straight to your left to your left and then providing leverage has to go around their left arm and then your hands link up you can still finish that choke you just have, there's a different technical application you apparently want to and people better at jiu-jitsu than I am are the ones who have noted this. if you have the traditional guillotine, you want to close your guard and pull back. you want to you know drive you want to use your guard to stretch them out uh, horizontally to provide maximum tension on the neck. If you do that with the arm in, you actually kind of open up one side of the neck like one of their whole carotid arteries can be safe. You actually want to compress in kind of like you're doing a crunch, and that will actually compress all the relevant blood vessels. The variation that Hermanson used here, and I think he used on Gerald Mearschardt, I think this was it was basically the same setup and the same execution he used on Mearschardt when he beat him, uh, there's still an arm trapped, but instead of being across your own body, so again, assume that their head is uh, you know, kind of in your left armpit, and that your left arm is the one choking them, instead of there, this would be their left arm being across your body and then trapped by your overhook with your right arm, it's trapped between their neck and your body on the same side. Uh, it's kind of like an uh, it has kind of the same positioning in terms of some of the physiology as an arm triangle choke, but instead of you know a traditional arm triangle, it's done from the guillotine setup, and it's a nasty, nasty guillotine variation. I call it the I call it the head and arm guillotine just to distinguish it from the arm and guillotine. It's a really nasty choke. Uh, it's it's a really nasty one, especially because even if they're able to kind of get through the whatever guard kind of kind of you have going, and Hermanson had... I think his right leg was all the way over, kind of providing the guard, and then he just didn't care if Branch tried to circle out to... This would be Branch's right. Because you can just transition into either a Darce or an Anaconda variation if they're able to get away from your the guard of your legs. Uh, Hermanson's a real... He's a real threat in this division. I I don't know exactly how far he can go, but he's got a good passing game. He's got some really nice setups, you know, pretty clearly. Uh, He's got serious ground and pound. He didn't show it off here, but he can unload some leather and some elbows. I mean, this fight made sense for him from an escalation standpoint in terms of his career. And I... I mean, he's got to be both ranked now and looking down some more ranked opposition next. Uh, Branch was, I think, number 11 going into this. Yeah. So he's going to be... Geez, why is Brad Tavares in the top 10? I could have sworn he lost his last fight. So, point being, he should be staring down someone like Jared Cannonier, Derek Brunson depending on what's keeping Paulo Costa out at the moment. Uh, He should absolutely be fighting someone in the top ten. He hasn't fought any of those guys yet. No, he has not. So, yeah, any of those. Um, This guy needs some some pretty serious opposition going forward. And David Branch, I mean, it sucks for him, but he's also kind of peaked, I think. He's over 30. He's 37. Jeez. You know, credit to that guy for having as good a career as he has. You know, this you know, for as long as it's been going. Uh, this is his first uh, losing streak ever. Gee, that man's had an underappreciated career. Let me just put it like that. Uh, I, I think he'll be back, but you know, I think he's probably gone as high as he's going to go in you know terms of rankings and whatnot. Uh, let's see. Next up, oh, this fight. Uh, Josh Emmett defeats Michael Johnson via knockout, punch, uh, 414 of the third round. Um, This was not a very good fight. Good finish. I mean, the finish itself was. I mean, it was a one punch knockout. I mean, um, (laughs) Johnson was stiff long before he hit the ground. Uh, (laughs) But the fight itself was just kind of there. I mean, it was not. It wasn't boring. But it was not very interesting. Uh, Emmett had a decent enough first round. I thought he I think I scored the first round a draw, actually. That's how kind of dull it was. I don't think either guy really won it. Johnson really got kind of his rhythm going in the second round, and then it kind of fell off in the third after he ate a I think it was a left. I can't if it was a left or, another, or a right that just he was... He had a rhythm going, he was feeling good, he was landing pretty decently, and then he eats a punch and suddenly that all stops. Like, insert record skip sound. Uh, and then Emmett, just towards the end, uh, hit... I hate this punch. This kind of like windmill overhand right. Now, in credit to Emmett, there's a couple of things. One, he's not swinging it in you know, the full elbow-locked-out arc. He's actually throwing a punch with a deliberate arc to it. Two, he actually set it up. Uh, I I got so sick of that punch because so many guys would just kind of throw it out there because they didn't know what else to do. Or well, I'm going to throw it and then shoot a double leg behind it because all I know of, you know, I, like, I was this fighter wasn't aware that MMA had evolved past Josh Koscheck and, you know, 12 or 13 years ago. It's an annoying thing. But Emmett actually set it up. He did it with a couple of different things. One, he f- he had shot a couple of takedowns. Nothing really committed, but and he made Johnson defend them. And it clearly got Johnson thinking about them. Two, he would use the same setup with his upper body to then swing it into the body instead of towards the head. And when he finally got a bit of the distance down... He used that same setup, and Johnson's hands dropped either to defend a takedown or to protect his body, and instead the punch cracked him in the jaw, and he went to sleep. Uh, this was Emmett's first fight back since Jeremy Stevens broke his face. Uh, that's not an exaggeration. He, Jeremy Stevens broke several things in Josh Emmett's face. Uh, Josh Emmett... In the immediate aftermath of that fight, he couldn't even feel the left side of his face. There was some... Some of the stuff that got broken was, like, compressing nerves. He still can't... Apparently, he still can't feel, like, the left side of it, like, uh, the, his gums on the left side of his face. Uh, Jeremy Stevens, like... If you read the you know, the list of medical damage that was done to Josh Emmett by Jeremy Stevens, you'd think he was in a car wreck. So him coming back, he got a win. Um, He did not get a bonus, which is hilarious to me. Um, I I shouldn't say it's hilarious, but Emmett mentioned in his post-fight interview, you know, this is my whatever fight in the UFC. One, two, three, four, five. This is his seventh fight in the UFC. Uh, He's had four finishes. He's had three finishes, okay. Including a really spectacular knockout of Ricardo Lamas. It was a, uh, I believe, a left hook uh, from a UFC on Fox event, the Lawler versus Dos Anjos fight, uh, fight card, and he didn't get a performance of the night bonus for that. Those went to Nordine Taleb and Alessi, Alessio DeCicirico. Uh, De fairness, DiCirico knocked out Oluwale Bamboche with a knee, and what did Taleb do? And he knocked out Danny Roberts. That was actually a really cool sequence. So it's unfortunate for him because I think you could have made an argument for him in, on that card. And he said, you know, I've ne- this is my seventh fight in the UFC. I've never received a bonus. You know, how, how about now? And I mean, if you were just to pick, if this were, you know, the way they if they were structuring these payouts the way they used to, where it's knockout of the night rather than performance, uh, I. Th- He probably had a better knockout than Gagey's, all things considered. But uh, the UFC did not give him a performance bonus. Uh, Jack Hermanson got one, which is fair. Uh, I disagreed with the other one they gave. They gave it to Paul Craig for just a terrible fight, which, again, we'll get to. So poor Josh Emmett still has not received a $50,000 performance bonus check from the UFC. Uh, but and he he uh, you know avoided a losing streak, got back on the winning side of things. He was ranked number ten going into this fight. Uh, match him up with I don't know. I think Cub Swanson's got a fight coming up, but he should be fight instead of trying to de- just defend his top ten spot for his next fight. He should probably be fighting someone ranked above him. And I mean, there's fights you could you could do him in Beckett, you could do him in Swanson. Uh, You could do him in Zabit. Zabit's number six. How the hell is Zabit Magomed Sharipov number six in the world? I like Zabit. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't dislike him at all. But he's coming off of his best win, which, I mean, he beat Stevens, which is not nothing. But, I don't know, that just, that seems like a lot to me. As for Michael Johnson, I mean, the dude's almost just like a 500 fighter, not just in the UFC, but in his career, he's like, yeah, he's 19 and 14 as a pro. I mean, Johnson has some real ability. He's got really fast hands. He's got power, but he's never been able to really string put everything together. And that's something he needs to figure out pretty quickly because the clocks are ticking. Uh, women's strawweight, Michelle Waterson defeated Karolina Kovalkiewicz via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. A uh, pretty solid fight. Uh, Michelle Watterson... You know, this might be her best performance in terms of like cuz she's had more spectacular wins, but top to bottom in terms of her tactical decision making, her you know, her fight IQ the variety of her skill set. This might have been her best performance ever and probably against the against one of the best opponents she's ever fought. I don't think Kovalcevic is the best because she's uh I mean Rose all, she also fought Rose and lost that fight, but one of her best opponents and she put on probably her her best performance. For those of us who look at, you know, the nuance of things, I mean, she landed good kicks, both to the leg and to the body. She managed distance with them really well. Michelle Watterson might be one of like three women in the UFC who understand how to use the head and arm throw, that kind of, kind of headlock judo hip toss, appropriately. Because there's so many that just seem to go to it because they don't know what else to do in, that, in whatever situation they, ha- they happen to find themselves in. Michelle, by contrast, I think she only attempted it twice in this fight and she hit it once. Uh that was in the second round, they were clinched up. She got Ro- she got not Rose. She got Carolina to really kind of commit forward motion, so they weren't static. Carolina was kind of driving forward with her hips. They were because they were out in space, not against the cage. As she was stepping forward, uh just some beautiful timing from Watterson. She stepped across uh, elevated her hips, got the throw. It really was a thing of beauty. And again, Michelle actually understands the timing and the correct application of that throw. She's not, i mean, and to be fair, she did used to. I think that's what got her. No, no, she got Paige with it. it. Was when Paige was just like trying the head and arm throw every time they clinched up, and that's what led her to get to her getting Paige's back and choking her out. Uh, again, she's really good about knowing when to use it, rather than just not having any other options for every clinch scenario. So, uh, she wants to fight for the belt in the near future. You know, I can live with that. Um, I mean, she lost to Rose, but you could run that back, uh, assuming Rose defeats Jessica Andrade, which is not a given. Um. I mean, it's, it's tough at strawweight because, again, you have... Rose is about to fight Andrade. Andrade has beaten at least two of the other top... F- She's beaten, like, three of the other top five strawweights in the world because Andrade beat Nina Ansaroff. She beat Claudia Gedalia. Uh, she beat Carolina. <laughs> she hasn't fought Tatiana Suarez, and then she got just Completely schooled by Ioana and Jacek when they fought, but if so, if uh, Andra, uh, if Andraj wins, you you could do Torres because I I don't know that you can do Ioana against Andraj again, given that Ioana's, uh coming off of the failed title bid at fly at uh, flyweight. You could do Tatiana Suarez. Because Suarez, I mean, Suarez is really good, but Suarez is also really young, and you might want to try and get Watterson in there while you can. Uh, I don't again, a lot of that's kind of up in the air, uh, you get pretty significant win for Waterson, and again, one of her better performances, a uh, really great fight from her. All right, Paul Craig defeated Kennedy and Chukwu via triangle choke at 420 of the third round. This fight sucked. Oh, crappy, crappy, crappy light heavyweights. I mean, Paul Craig is a good grappler. I don't think he's a great grappler, but he's a good grappler. His takedowns aren't great. He winds up pulling guard more often than not. (laughs) He pulled guard like four times in this fight. Um, and Nchukwu just didn't really have any meaningful offense, all things considered. I mean, he had a couple of decent kicks, but he wasn't putting combinations together. These two have, like, no sense of cage craft. The first thing they did, I uh, Paul Craig wound up putting, like, his left shoulder on the fence and was facing, you know, parallel to the panel. And Nchukwu just... Moved so he was facing Craig and so he was also parallel to that same, just the most bizarre, bizarre ring generalship I've seen in a long time. That was so weird. Um, I mean, Shukwu got off a little bit of offense when he was on top of Craig, but this, this was just a terrible, terrible fight. Uh, as time's winding down, Craig again winds up kind of pulling guard. He fights for wrist control. He tries a triangle. He, he tries what's I think called a triangle sweep. He gets wrist control. He kind of kicks Nchukwu off balance and then tries to snap up the triangle when the other arm goes out to... I don't know, either balance you or just gets kind of kicked out of position. And Chukwu defends the first time. Uh, goes back into the guard. Craig just does it again and gets it the second time. Um... And Shirk was like six and zero. He had two wins on the contender series. He was just not ready for the UFC at all. I mean, at all. Because Paul Craig is—he's a little bit tricky. And again, he's not a bad fighter, but he's like three and three in the UFC, and he's lost to Tyson Pedro, Khalil Roundtree, and Jim Croot. And I mean that Hail Mary triangle choke he pulled off against. Magomed Ankaliyev was likely saved his job. I mean, and Ankaliyev, and I mean, this is one of those things that I I don't know. I'm not down on Unchukwu just because he got submitted by Paul Craig, because Ankaliyev's actually a good fighter. I mean, he's he lost. Uh, he had the setback to Craig, that was his that's his only loss. He as one his other two UFC fights, he knocked out Marcin Procneo. Now again, he's not—he's been fighting kind of on the European side of things more than on the American side, even for the like the UFC European League. But he's a guy that is, I think, might have some potential, especially light heavyweight being what it is, because he put a beating on Craig before Craig caught that triangle choke. I had him up like with two ten-eight rounds. Going into that, as that was wrapping up, it was, so just the fact that he got caught by a, 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 again, a kind of tricky submission guy, especially off of his back. I'm not down on him for getting tapped, I'm down on him for, like, everything else about the fight. Um, This was not a good fight, this was pretty darn terrible, this might be one of the worst of the year, Um, just, just not good. Um, Sadiq Youssef defeated Shaman Morais via unanimous decision. This was announced... That was one of these fights that was announced incorrectly. It might have been Casey, Kenny, and Ray Borg from the prelims. Um, Youssef defeated Morais 29-27 and then 29-28 twice. I don't agree with Yusuf getting a 10-8. But I have no issues with him winning. Uh... I think I had it for him, 29 28. This was a good, fu- this was a pretty good striking display from both guys. Um, if you see a lot of higher level stuff, the guys, these two were making reads, they were faking, they were drawing stuff out, they were countering. Uh, this was some good stuff. Yusuf had to overcome a little bit of adversity, but in the third round, a round he both needed to win and I thought was losing, uh, he landed this. Uh, Maurice tried an upward elbow without really setting it up, and (laughs) Yusuf cracked him with a right hand, dropped him, and I don't know how close to a finish he got, but he definitely hurt him, and then that was enough to definitively seal that round for him, and therefore the fight, so uh, a pretty solid little fight. Uh, Women's strawweight Marina Rodriguez defeated Jessica Aguilar via unanimous decision, 29-26, and then 29-27 twice. Uh, Rodriguez was deducted a point. Yeah, she she lost a point in the first round. Uh, She wound up poking Aguilar in the eye twice. Uh, Hence the, again, 29 27s. Uh, A lot of people apparently went, I think I did too, went 9 9 for the first. But Rodriguez just, uh, she just beat the crap out of Jessica Aguilar broke her down to the body a few times. Good clinch work. Uh, tore up with elbows. Um, just a pretty thorough beating <laughs> from Marina Rodriguez. Uh, Desmond Green actually scored our first finish of the entire event when he knocked out Ross Pearson in the se- in the first round. Um, oh, TKO'd Pearson. This was a good, good outing from Green, all things considered. Uh, the finishing sequence was nice. He entered in on a single leg... Turned an angle to drive perpendicular to Ross Pearson's hips instead of the the same direction as they were. Reached around with one of his leg, and then his hands got the trip. When Ross tried to base up onto his hands and knees, uh, Green moved into the ride position and just smashed him with punches until the ref stopped it. Uh, That's Green's first... Not only is that Green's first finish successfully in the UFC, that's his first fight to be finished at all in the UFC. (laughs) Uh, that's his first finish by stoppage since 2016 when he had, there was a doctor stoppage before that. It was at a Titan FC event. He knocked out his opponent. It's just been a while for him since he was able to actually finish somebody, and he finished uh, Ross Pearson. And I mean, I respect Pearson as a veteran, but Pearson is one and six in his last seven um not a good spot to be in. Uh Kevin Aguilar defeated Enrique Barzola a unanimous decision, 29-28 twice and there was 1 29-29. This is erroneously entered here. It was 29-28 across the board. Good stuff from Aguilar in this fight. He had a pretty good read on Barzola's takedown attempts. He was able to kind of slide out of the way, to land good counters. Uh, Aguilar somebody to pay attention to because Barzola was on a pretty good run so uh, that was a pretty again that was decent um Kevin Holland defeated Gerald Meerhard via split decision 129 27 for Holland which baffles me uh, there were some odd scores last night man I do not know what Clucky was doing in Philadelphia but he was having himself a grand old time because there were some odd scores. That was one of them. Uh, 129-28 for Meershard and then a 30-27 for Holland. Uh, this was an odd little fight. Um, it was simultaneously great and terrible. Uh, there was a lot of scrambles. There was a lot of, you know, uh, submission attempts. There was a lot of just moving kind of back and forth. A relatively high pace for middleweights. Uh, I mean, I swear, if if had on a couple of different occasions just settled and secured the position before trying to move to the next one. He might have been able to finish Holland, but he... I don't know. He just he moves at a very fast pace. And that has its drawbacks, and some of those were on display here. Kevin Holland complained about having to fight another guy who just wanted to... who wanted to grapple him. He wants someone who will stand and bang for his next fight. Uh, I don't care. Again, this was odd because on the one hand it was pretty great and then on the other hand it was like oh god this is all weird low level kind of stuff so uh yeah it was it was kind of there um Casey Kenny defeated Ray Borg via unanimous decision 229-28 and a 30-27 I scored this for Borg um fun little fight all things considered uh Borg missed weight for this fight and look, normally my normally my uh, my stance on this is if you have to miss weight three times in a weight class before I'll call you fat. This is Ray's third time missing weight, but he did it twice at flyweight and now once at bantamweight, buddy. You are bo- if you miss weight again at bantamweight, I think I'm just gonna go. You know what? Twice in two different weight classes means you're also fat. Um, again, I thought he won. A uh, lot of scrambling from both guys, a lot of takedowns from Borg, but Kenny was able to get up from underneath pretty much every time. Uh, yeah, if you like the kind of faster-paced grappling exchanges, this is a fight to look forward to, look up because that's what this fe- this fight featured primarily. Uh, Marina Moros defeated Sabina Masso via unanimous decision, 30-27 and 2 28 This was a lot of meh. Um, I I don't remember a whole lot about this fight, to be perfectly honest, and I know I watched it. Uh, Matzo just didn't quite seem ready for Morose as a, as a function of UFC exp- and higher level experience. So, I mean, Matzo can still grow into things. She's very young. She's like 20-something. Might only be 20. So, if she uses this as a learning experience, then she can grow from it. So, you know, I mean, it was just kind of there as a fight. And Alex Perez defeated Mark De La Rosa to kick everything off, 30-27 across the board. Uh, Solid stuff from Perez, just pretty much the better fighter everywhere. Um, De La Rosa had a bad habit in this fight of just, if he got taken down, of kind of locking up guard and then trying to work from there instead of really trying to sweep, instead of really trying to off-base Perez and stand up. Um, And that's not usually a winning strategy at the UFC level. And Perez was just able to kind of capitalize on that and beat him up. Took home the win. Perez has only lost once in the UFC, and that was to Benavidez. Um, Perez is... Seems to be back at uh, bantamweight now because flyweight is no longer going to be a thing in the near future. But, uh, you know, solid stuff from Perez. And that was it. That was the night of fights. Uh, Not a bad one. If you could if you could cherry pick the good stuff from this card, you have a pretty solid like 5 fight card. But man, when this card got bad, it was bad. Uh there was some just there were some mind-numbing sequences on the broadcast that just took forever and there were some fights that were just made you want to put your head through a wall to ease the pain. Um Yeah. Yeah. All right, there is no event next week. I I get a Saturday to myself. Um, I don't know what I'll do with it. Uh, But I'm going to enjoy it because the week after that is UFC 236. And then we're just kind of back on the horse. So I get a rare kind of Saturday to myself and I'm going to enjoy it. All right, on to the news. The biggest news. Conor McGregor, former two-division UFC champion, Announced that he is retiring again. Um I think back in two thousand I think it was two thousand sixteen. Connor announced that he was leaving the sport. I believe his tweet was like, I'm done, thanks for the cheese. Something silly like that. Uh his his in, his announcement this time carried a bit more weight. He said he decided to retire from the sport of mixed martial arts. Um I don't, know how, I don't know if this is going to stick because retirements in combat sports mean about as much as retirements in professional wrestling. They say very, very little. That said, there are a couple of things in this instance that make me think a little bit this might be a bit more permanent. Um, one is his uh, other stuff he's doing with his life. In 2016, Conor was just a fighter. Very successful fighter. The most financially successful fighter maybe in UFC history. He was the biggest draw the company had. He was both in a position of power and singularly focused on his career as an MMA fighter. It's a little bit different now. He had the big payday from boxing Floyd Mayweather. He's also got his whiskey brand, which is apparently doing quite well. I mean, I don't drink at all, so I can't tell you about its value. Uh, So, (laughs) I I have no idea whether or not it's any good, but people are buying it, and fair play. So, there's a few other avenues of his, his personal finances that he seems to be looking at at this point that might not necessitate the you know him fighting to make a living and that might change again in the future i don't know but it's a consideration again you know 3 years ago he didn't have something else to do with himself now he's got other things and that's a consideration for a lot of guys uh, it was also there have been rumors about this but due to uh, media laws in Ireland it couldn't actually be reported as such but the New York Times apparently was able to confirm that Connor is being investigated for sexual assault now let me be clear this is just an investigation he's not been arrested he's not been he's not been arrested he's not been charged Uh, he's certainly not been convicted of anything but he is being investigated for it and if something comes of that then you know that that might raise some interesting questions about connor even fighting again in the united states for a pretty specific reason actually connor has been now let me be clear about this connor has not been convicted of any felonies i think at all and certainly not in the united states he has however been arrested twice for felonies. Now again, arrests are not convictions. In the first case related to the bus attack, uh, Connor pled down. In, he is technically being charged with a felony in regards to the Miami issue because the standard for felony property destruction is attached to a dollar value and everyone's cell phone rises to that level at this point in time. So when he destroyed someone else's cell phone, they can technically be, he could technically be arrested for the felony. I don't expect him to be convicted of that, but two felony arrests in the United States, and then if there if anything really comes of this uh, investigation in Ireland, and again I don't know if there's anything to it. I really don't. I'm just I, I I I mean, how would I? But if so, if anything comes of that, you know they could just tell him you're not. <laughs> You know, they could deny him visa access. You know, we don't have to let anyone into the country. I say we, like I'm not. I'm just a citizen of the United States. I'm not the government. But uh, given some of his 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 criminal history at this point, again, and some of this will depend on what happens. And if it's only ever an investigation, if this is, if nothing comes of this, if it's either a, a mis, you know, some kind of misunderstanding on on some part, or if uh, false accusation. I, I'd, I'd be a little. I don't know. I'm torn on this because those don't happen all that often. But given Connor's level of celebrity, um, again, so I hope the investigation is thorough. I hope they get to the truth. I always do with those types of things. But if something comes of that, if he's got a couple of felon, a couple of arrests in the United States, and then something in his home country. I would not be beyond, you know, immigration customs to just deny him, you know, to revoke his visa, and just not let him into the United States. Which would be interesting if he decides to continue fighting, because <laughs> this is the biggest market. Uh, well, if he continues fighting for the UFC, I mean, if he wanted to try and box, there's a, I mean, there's, there's plenty of other places and you know, be that Ireland or the United Kingdom that he can box successfully. So, it's uh, it, again, it's a consideration. Um, at this point, I'm just kind of done being surprised by Conor. If this actually sticks and he's just going to be done, then you know what? Godspeed, man. You annoyed the crap out of me on several occasions. <laughs> but he's responsible for, like, three of the four highest, most purchased pay-per-views in UFC or, or all of MMA. Uh, he... Definitely left a a mark for better and for worse on the sport. And, you know, credit to him for that. He made the most money of anyone probably in the history of the UFC from a fighter standpoint. Uh, And and if he really is done, then again, you know, I have some great memories attached to Conor McGregor fights. I was never a a fan, you know, as such, but he... And he definitely gave us some great memories. And there's a bunch of people who think his fights with Nate Diaz were great fights. Um, I don't. I was not terribly enthralled by either of them. But that's just me. I'm not, and that's not me trying to be you know, some kind of hipster about it. I said at the time that you know people were losing their mind over D, over McGregor Diaz too, and I was just and I just was kind of nonplussed by it, frankly. Um. I think I even rewatched it just because I wanted to see if I if I'd missed something because I was covering it. Was like, did something not translate for me? And I, I largely arrived at the same conclusion. It's just I don't know, it doesn't resonate with me. It's a it's a very entertaining fight in a lot of respects, but it's just I don't know, I never engage with it. But he's made a lot of money for a fair number of people, and again, if he is done, Godspeed and party on. If he comes back at some point, I will cover whatever fight he comes back to most likely at this point so uh, again that's uh, that was kind of the big big news was Conor um, here's the I suppose I should mention the other thing about this one um, part of Connor's retirement ploy previously was uh, public negotiation with the UFC might still be a little bit of that here um, unfortunately for Conor, the UFC's in a very different position now than they were in 16, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, Conor's coming off of that loss to Habib, and I don't know, man. That loss, it's not that he lost. Conor's lost fights before. Something about the nature of that fight and that loss really seems to have kind of dampened some of the enthusiasm around him. I mean, you might remember when he lost to Nate Diaz, he wanted to run that fight back right away, and a lot of the public wanted the rematch. Uh, after Habib smashed him, uh, he said he was interested in a rematch, but no, but there was no public support for that proposition at all. Just nobody really wanted to see it again. So he doesn't really have a clear path for a next fight in that respect. I mean, he's called out some people. Some people have called out him. Anthony Pettis said he'd be interested in fighting. Uh, guys have said it, but nothing's really... I don't know. Um, there hasn't been a lot of, you know, like, uh, fu- uh, fan support. A lot of vocal fan support for any of the fights kind of thrown out. I mean, I would love to see him fight Cowboy. Frankly, I I, I was behind that fight until it didn't get made. The other thing is revenue streaming. Revenue streams. Because Connor's don't get me wrong, biggest star in the UFC, until proven otherwise. Dude draws massive, massive business. But the UFC, and this got mentioned and I hadn't thought about it like this, but the new deal where ESPN Plus will be the exclusive pay-per-view carrier for UFC pay-per-views in the United States, um... The UFC, ESPN, the UFC's not giving that to ESPN. ESPN is paying for that. There's a licensing fee associated with that for them. And I think it was Luke Thomas that mentioned, I'm just going to cite my source there because that's where I've heard it from, and I'm going to go ahead and kind of trust his sources, that the licensing fees that, and this is just the licensing, just the right to be the exclusive carrier kind of thing, from ESPN to the UFC about these is to the tune of about 500,000 buys in terms of dollars per pay-per-view. Um, which is a massive deal for the UFC. They have been, you know, pay-per-view had been dipping for them considerably. So now, if if from a financial perspective, let's just assume all that's correct, that just means that for every UFC pay-per-view, ESPN is basically guaranteeing fi- a, five, a minimum of 500,000 buy rate in terms of dollars. I don't know what the math would be on that. Uh, which basically means the UFC never has to worry about the buy rate for a pay-per-view. Uh, as long as that deal's in place. Because they'll still get a cut of whatever buys there actually are, which will you know, be, I mean, people are going to buy their pay-per-views still. But they don't have to worry about if they have a pay-per-view that sells, you know, 150,000 buys only, you know, only, just remember that ESPN paid the equivalent of 500,000 buys to be the exclusive carrier for that. So they're not really in a position to worry too much about their pay-per-view model at the at the moment. They've done a good job of diversifying elements of their revenue so that they're not as beholden to it. So Connor, who is a pay-per-view draw has significantly less leverage over the UFC now than he did prior to this deal. I mean, frankly, Conor might be the last fighter to ever really have leverage over the UFC as an individual. Um, if the fighters ever get together and form some kind of association or whatnot, then as a group, you know, there there is certainly, again, like the old labor versus management dispute. Labor is always as powerful as management, if not more so, but if labor is unorganized, it winds up coming down to like one person versus management, and that almost always favors management. So I don't know. I, Connor might be gone. If he, I won't be surprised if he comes back, and frankly, I won't be surprised if he stays gone. I'm just, you know, Connor's gonna do whatever Connor's gonna do at this point. All right. Um, let's get into. Oh, uh, I want to talk about one. Yeah, very briefly, I suppose. Um, one championship held their event early, early this morning. I watched part of it live and some of it after the fact. Um, Eddie Alvarez got uh, was stopped in a, in the first round by uh, Timofey Nastyukin, who and look, I'm only peripherally aware of that guy because of Grabaca Hitman on Twitter, uh, who you should all be following, by the way. But he was the one who said like when they announced it. A, don't sleep on this guy and b that that can be a tough fight because Timofey's pretty legit um a, you know, huge win for him demetrius Johnson made his one debut at that event submitting his opponent in the first round uh, second round excuse me with a guillotine choke uh that that d j fight was actually pretty fun i looked it up um two things very briefly i mean there were some other good fights from that card um Angela Lee lost in a surpri- uh, which was surprising. She's very good and nearly tore the other girl's arm off at one point, but uh, got stopped in. I think it was the third, might have been the fourth with some just got broken down to, with body shots and then stopped. Uh, there were some good fights there. Um, just very briefly, can we stop I don't know how many of you might fall into this logical fallacy. One has not solved weight cutting. One doesn't publicly disclose anything related to their weight-cutting procedures or what people, like, I mean, they don't drug test either. They operate on the nonsense that the culture of martial arts will disincentivize cheating. Like, no, you're, no. Sorry, you know, the notion of Bushido has as much historical merit as the notion of chivalry. It's something we concocted in retrospect more than was an actual thing at the time. It's just, it's not a thing. And listening to Michael Chevallo after every fight, oh, God. Oh, there's the Bushido spirit. Like, no. Sh- oh. I mean, there's stuff I like about one. They have some good fighters. Not a lot. Again, not a huge number of them, but they have some very good fighters, and they put on some good fights. But, man, some of their stuff. Some of their stuff. Uh, so, anyway, congrats to DJ. Again, I'm, a, I'm still a Demetrius Johnson fan, so, as such, so... No, it was a. Look up some of the fights. There were some good fights there if you're curious. I think the whole thing's up on YouTube. The whole event. So look it up if you're so inclined. Uh, Again, we have some fight announcements we wanted to get into. Because. Yeah, there were more of those kind of in the wake of Connor's retirement. Um. John Jones put out there on Twitter that he was interested in fighting Stipe Miocic, and I got excited, because I think John at heavyweight is an interesting proposition. I think him against Stipe is a... That's a heck of an introduction to the division if you're fighting one of the best guys in UFC history in that division. Uh, It was then... announced that, no, John would instead be defending the light heavyweight title against Thiago Santos um I'm I'm okay look if you want to keep the light heavyweight division moving as normally, thiago Santos is probably your number one contender uh, if we go by rankings, yeah, okay, he's number three behind Daniel Cormier and Alexander Gustafson. Cormier's never coming back to light heavyweight, and Jones just smoked Gustafson again. So Santos is your appropriate number one contender. I don't know, I just... It got thrown out there that John might try his hand at heavyweight, and I just, and that's long been an interesting proposition to me, and then it... I don't know, then it just it kind of fell apart. Um, Again, I favor John heavily in that fight, but that is... But if you just want to keep the gears moving at light heavyweight, keep the machinery going, that's the next fight. Makes the most sense in that respect. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Excuse me. Dana White mentioned that they're going to try to make Henry Cejudo versus Marlon Moraes for the vacant bantamweight title. Ugh. We may have talked a little bit about this last week, but... Um, I think we did, but man, uh, I don't know, I don't, I I understand why the UFC is doing it, but I don't like that fight for business, I mean, if it's just Henry Cejudo versus Marlon Marais is a fight, sure, like, what am I going to complain about, but hmm, that doesn't sit right with me. Um, oh, the other announced uh, Jones versus Santos is set for specifically UFC 239. Uh, that fight, will, that event, will also feature a women's bantamweight fight between Ho- Amanda Nunes and Holly Holm. Um, God, Nunes and Holm. Look, I, I respect Holly's body of work across multiple disciplines, but she's like. I can't remember where I heard it. This might have been a Jack Slack joke, but she's basically turned into the female version of Uriah Faber in the sense that... And I remember this time when Uriah Faber was getting a title shot every other event. Um, she's she's perilously close to that territory, and... I mean, I like Holly more than I like Uriah, if we're just talking about like my personal fandom, but that's a fair comparison on those grounds. <laughs> Um, this, I don't know, I mean, I, I'm so torn on uh, on this in some respects, but in a few others it makes sense. I mean, let's start with a couple of things. One, Amanda's already, you know, pretty well beaten the other top of the division. Like, she's beaten Jermaine Duran to me, Vie- she hasn't fought Ketlin Vieja, but is, I think, injured. There's something keeping her out of action. She destroyed poor Raquel Pennington. She's already... uh, You can't do the Zingano rematch, I don't think. I think Zingano was trying her hand at featherweight. But Nunez has beaten the majority of that division already. Holly is the only former bantamweight champion she hasn't beaten. Because she's beaten Ronda, she's beaten Misha... I mean, she beat Cyborg. She's actually beaten Valentina too. So, I mean, there are there are a grand total of like three female UFC champions that Amanda has not former UFC female champions who Amanda has not beaten, and that's Holly. And then, okay, four. But the other three are at women's straw weight it, because that would be um you know Rose Ioana, and Carla Esparza. Like the last one adjacent to her own weight class and she you know has beaten the champion below her and the champion above her as well. The last one standing's Holly. And if Amanda wins and frankly I favor her to do so. I mean, she's already got the best resume in women's MMA history. That that would just solidify it. Like the best resume. Bar none. And, again, I favor Amanda to win that fight. I I mean, there's no one I would favor to beat Amanda at this point, apart from maybe Shevchenko. Because, again, I thought Shevchenko won their second fight. But even that, I don't know, man, even that's dodgy. If they were to announce that they had a trilogy fight coming up between those two, I I might pick Amanda, in all honesty. So, anyway, that'll be your co-main event, and you know, again, like I mean, Holly's had some, some kind of rough stretches, but you know, styles are important when it comes to fighting, and it's entirely possible that Holly's able to exploit a few of the habits of Amanda Nunes in a way others haven't been able to. If Amanda's too aggressive against Holly, Holly can just move and counter her. Now, Amanda's footwork and general striking is significantly better than Ronda's was, but the same general strategy could very well apply if Amanda's overly aggressive. Again, that's not what I expect, but uh, that is a possibility. And again, I I favor Nunes in that in that fight, but if she wins, I mean, there's there's not a whole lot else for her to do. <laughs> I mean, let me look at Ketlin because, is Ketlin Vieira's undefeated? I mean, she's ten and zero. She beat and Ganu. and she was supposed to fight Tanya Evinger and then uh, had a knee injury. That was September of last year. So, depending on the severity of the injury, I mean, even then, you'd almost want her to have another victory between now between now and a title shot. Or you just rush her into the title picture and she gets beat. I mean, that happens. Um, Also in news, um, UFC on ESPN4 will feature a rematch between former welterweight champions Tyron Woodley and Robbie Lawler. Uh, Pull up my list here and see if I can't sort a little of this out. Um, Yeah, so 239 is Jones versus Santos. That'll be July 6th. Um, UFC on ESPN4 is June 29th. This is their Minneapolis card. Uh, yeah, and Woodley versus Lawler, the rematch is expected to be the main event. Uh, those two fought, again, fought previously when Lawler was champion. Woodley knocked him out in the first round to become champion. Uh, it's a little bit odd for a rematch. I mean, it came a little bit out of left field all things considered, but, you know, it can kind of make sense for both guys. Robbie coming off of that controversial loss to Ben Askren. Uh, If he's able to beat the former champion, he's back in, you know, back in the mix of things. Uh, If Woodley just lost the title, if he beats Lawler again, especially if he stops him again, he's, you know, reaffirmed that he's still a top welterweight in the world and might, you know, potentially be in position to, get back into the title picture. Uh, Let's see if anything else has really been announced. I don't think there's been anything else really announced. They might have finalized some bout orders. But I don't think any other major fights have been announced apart from those ones. I mean, in fairness, that's three pretty significant fights. Yeah, again, they're just kind of padding out a few events here and there that I think they're still kind of figuring out specific bouts for. But, Uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it for fight announcements. I think that's it, actually. Uh, I don't think there's any other major news. Let me refresh Twitter, because that's how this works. Nope, nothing else major seems to have happened while I was recording this, so... Let's go ahead and do some plugs. Uh, my plug should be relatively brief. Uh, you can find me this... I believe there's a movie review this Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Tuesday, Mark Ra- on Damn You Hollywood, Mark Radlich and I will be reviews, reviewing Dumbo, Tim Burton's live action adaptation of the Disney classic... I don't know who thought that was a good idea I mean in all seriousness Who decided You know what we have this you know Older story about Dumbo Let's give it to the guy Who somehow managed to colossally Screw up making Charlie and the Chocolate Factory That's a good idea Ugh I haven't seen it yet My opinion might change after seeing it But I don't know so we'll see. Uh, Mark and I will review that. Uh, last week we reviewed The Dirt. Myself, Mark, and uh, Jesse Starcher joined us. The Netflix uh, biopic about Motley Crue. Um, uh, so if you're interested in our thoughts on that, by all means, check it out. Uh, next couple of weeks we'll have reviews of Shazam and Pet Cemetery. No, sorry. It'll be Shazam, Hellboy, and then Pet cemetery Because while Pet Cemetery comes out first, scheduling is a thing. And Mark is a baby about horror, so Pet Cemetery gets to be like me and Jason Teasley, and I think Alexis Haina. That'll just be like the. It won't be the second week in April. I believe the like the weekend after the week after. So uh, you can look for forward to again the movie reviews on Damn You Hollywood Um, yeah I think that's gonna be it for me so yeah that's it sorry I have something else coming up but that's not for another few weeks and I don't want to promote it here yet because it's too far out so that'll do it for me thank you very much everyone for listening Uh, thank, thank you for your support Share the show. If you know someone who's interested in the sport, please share us around. Uh, We're still trying to build this thing, guys. Make sure you check out all the shows on the 411 podcasting network. Uh, Larry Zonka's 411 on wrestling. She's been recording again recently. Uh, Oh, that's the other thing this week. Randomly. uh, Well, sort of randomly. Friday, I will be returning for one night only to cover Impact Wrestling. Uh, there's just a bunch of Wrestlemania show... Uh, That's it, Wrestlemania weekend, and there's a lot of wrestling shows, and Larry Zonka just is only one man. He can't cover everything. He needed some help. And since I've covered Impact before, I said I will jump on that grenade. I'm sure the fans of Impact will be just... horribly, horribly thrilled to have me back for that. Um, so, if you're interested, stop by over there uh, for that event that'll be fun next week we'll be back here we will preview UFC 236 Holloway versus Poirier 2 as well as Kelvin Gastelum versus Israel Adesanya both of those fights are interim title fights because yay uh, the top one for the interim middleweight excuse me the interim lightweight championship the co-main event for the interim middleweight championship uh, so we'll have a preview of those, as well as, of course, all the major news from the week in the world of mixed martial arts. I'm sure stuff will happen. It always does. Till then, thank you again. Always appreciated. I know how many places you could get this content, guys. I really do, and I thank you very much for your support. I'll see you next week. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.